Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Florida Prospect Report. I'm your co-host, Bailey, here with my co-host, Eric, also joined by friend of the show and Pirates expert, Greg. Eric, it's good to be back. It is good to be back. Uh, A lot of baseball going on in our part of the world. Uh, We just took a few minutes to review, like, all the teams and all the games that we've seen. It's a lot. So we've got a lot of uh, neat storylines and exciting players slash prospects to talk about. And welcome to our mutual friend, Greg. It's great to have you on the air and uh, talking some uh, positive Pirates information with us. It's great to be on the show again, and it's great to be going to baseball games again. This is my absolute favorite time of year. Couldn't agree more. This is my favorite time of year as well. And I agree with Eric. Great to have you on the show. And um, Eric, uh, why don't you take a moment to reintroduce ourselves to our new listeners? Yeah, Bailey and I are uh, two people that live in Florida that watch as much minor league baseball as we can. Uh, Basically, we would do it every single day if we could make it possible. And some parts of the calendar, it is possible. So uh, we realize that some fans of other teams are not with us, not in Florida. So we really like do our absolute best to capture footage, stories, information, game clips, practice clips, whatever we can, and to put them on social media. And then we come come here to talk about it. So uh, you can see it or experience it from uh, from our perspective. So excuse me we're very happy to uh to have you along and uh this is our part of the year you know camp and spring season is when we really like begin to get started definitely yeah you know uh we appreciate the uh, new followers we've gotten on twitter in the recent weeks um you know we just try to put out highlights uh just so everyone can see what we're seeing you know we just want to spread the baseball love and um yeah so we were we were before the show just talking about like uh the games we've been to so far for spring training were five days into spring training and all five days, at least one of us, me, Eric and Greg have been at a spring training game. We've each been to three. We've seen collectively seven different teams. So we got a lot to talk about today. And um, I guess we'll start by talking about the Orioles, you know, the most on brand thing we can do uh, a team that both Eric and Greg have seen. So, uh, I guess we'll start with, uh, you know, Eric, you can kick things off and uh, just talk about some of the more exciting aspects of the Orioles you've seen so far. Okay. Uh, I guess the first thing, the the thing that I'm really most excited about is uh, there's a lot of excellent defense, a lot of great defense, but no really poor or subpar defense. I saw like uh, a mock. A low-level mistake today. Uh, catcher Adley Rutschman had a runner at a stealing from second to third. He had him beat, and the, ta- the throw was there. Gunnar Henderson was playing third base. It went in his glove and bounced right out. That was like the worst defensive thing that I've seen this year. I've seen more than uh, enough uh, infielders covering ground, ranging to both sides, outfielders running into the wall or sliding in or backtracking really well. Uh, throws being on time and the reason that it's so like exciting is because I was the one that was filming the defensive practices three weeks ago so I'm watching the players come back to camp sharpen their skills a little bit through drills and repetitions and then game action where I'm actually seeing it in 
you know, situations where we're keeping score, nine innings, have a pitcher and things like that. So I'm a defense first guy. I've said it a million times. And I really like the, the fact that the O's are, are bringing the defense early. And it's not just the veterans. It's the prospects, too. So that's one one really, really uh, key item for me that I've, I've, I've focused in on. Another one that's just impossible to ignore is uh, Taron Vavra, the, the left-handed hitter who when I, when I post his highlights, I list him as an infield slash outfield prospect because he's been good at second base. He's been good at third base. The clips I posted of him today are from left field, and he's batting 556 with, I believe, two home runs or uh, two home runs and a double and a couple RBIs. So, you know, the Orioles have yeah. some candidates for a utility infielder. But Vavra is the one who who's catching my eye the the most. So those those two things through two games have really uh or three games, pardon me, have really stood out. And I'm also going to go uh, tomorrow. They're at home in Sarasota. I believe they're taking on the Blue Jays, my enemy at heart. So I will uh, see a, 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 a little bit more exciting Orioles stuff. And I can add on to Eric's uh, discussion of the Orioles because I saw them on Sunday against the Tigers here in Lakeland. And I was impressed with Barbara as well. He played third base. He started at third in the game, made a great diving stop towards the line and threw the man out. I forget who it was, who was, who was running, but uh, Diaz, Lewin Diaz made a nice scoop at first to, to make the, make the play. And he had a couple of hits the days I, the day I saw him as well. Uh, so yeah, Barbara's gotten off to a really good start. And while Eric focuses on the defensive side, I saw the Orioles score nine runs in one inning uh, here in Lakeland on Sunday. It was a uh, nine-run fifth inning that uh, carried them to a 10-6 win. And Lewin Diaz not only made an impressive play in the field, he had two hits in that one inning, including a double and a three-run homer right down the right field line. So uh, while he spent the uh, the offseason on the DFA merry-go-round, he managed to land on the Orioles, and maybe the Orioles would be better for it. He's he's looked good. Yeah, and he got a hit uh, yesterday as well. So uh, his spring stats might be like worth arguing for a spot. At, you know, when, when they uh, when they break camp, when when you saw them, did any particular pitcher for them stand out? The Orioles. Um, I thought that the the starter gave up. Uh, I think the starter gave up a homer, but other than that, uh, looked pretty solid. And I thought that uh, the the pitcher um, Cano he had ah. a, he had a solid he had a solid inning. I don't. You guys probably know his first name better, uh, more uh, more likely than I do. But Cano uh, stood out. Um, Detroit was throwing the ball around a little bit. They didn't, they didn't look as good or as solid on defense as the Orioles did. Uh, but it, it was a little ragged on, on the defensive side for Detroit, but typical first weekend spring training uh, uh, performance, I think. Yeah, that's uh, Yaner Cano from the Jorge Thank Lopez you. trade. And uh, I'm really glad you guys both talked about Vavra because you know it feels like if he keeps this up the rest of spring, he has to make the uh, the you know opening day roster as the utility guy. You know he's just too valuable. Um, assuming he can keep it up, 
And, um, you know, great to see Lewin Diaz producing. I was really high on him when he was a Marlins prospect. And, you know, it just seemed like they didn't want to give him playing time for whatever reason. And then when they did, it was inconsistent. And, you know, so I'm but in AAA every year he would rake. So hopefully the Orioles, you know, give him a shot. I know they've got a crowded one of probably the most crowded infield, you know, prospect wise in baseball. So he's a lot of competition. But um, I think there's one more Orioles player I want to touch on before we move on to a different team. Uh, it was at your game, Eric. I think he actually he played at both games. You've you both seen him. It was the uh, player we were most excited about on our previous episode, Heston Kerstad. Uh, Eric, uh-huh. what happened at the game you went to when you saw Kerstad? Oh, uh, man. I want, He hit two home runs. Uh, uh, he just missed the third. And I want to say that on the, like, print out after the game I don't think any of the pitches would have been like clear strike center squared up like centered strikes so he hit a couple bad pitches out of the stadium one uh oppo down the left field line so uh you know Kerstad is Kerstad is legitimate there's I people were talking about what uh, affiliate he goes to, is there a chance for a call-up? And people should just be, like, watching him play, watching the unique things that he does because he's a gifted athlete. He's uh, very strong, much more, much faster than than he looks like he would be. He has a good arm. These are the things that influence playing time. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes when he's out there. He can hold his own at the plate. He can take pitches. He can drive pitches, so... He's left-handed, tall, strong. You know, Kerstad is Kerstad is ready. And just in case he isn't or right along with him is uh, Colton Kowser. And Kowser's I've seen him in, in center field uh, a bit. And, you know, uh, people complain about he's a corner outfielder, so he's not, he, you know, that doesn't justify his where he was drafted. They're wrong. He's a center. I've seen him do every single thing, come in uh, fast, have to go back fast, have to, like, stop and start again. He has all the center field movement skills down perfectly. They're they're instinctive, and he shows it off in drills, and he shows it off big time in games. So I guess there's my chance to rant about the Orioles' outfield defense, but is uh, going to be a center field center fielder, whatever uh, affiliate he, he starts at. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, not to take a victory lap, on Kerstad five days into spring training, but I just want to emphasize that on our previous episode, Eric said that Kerstad was the most impressive hitter at training camp. And, you know, the first day of spring training, he goes out and hits two home runs. So, you know, I I suggest that you keep on listening to our show because I feel like we put out some good information. And, um, you know, speaking of that game where you saw Kerstad, their opponent was the Minnesota Twins. Uh, We were both at games that day. I was, it was the Twins uh, split squad. So I was, in Fort Myers for their home game. You were in Sarasota for their road game. So I guess the next team we'll talk about will be the uh, Twins. And I'll get the ball rolling there. Um, For the home game, uh, notable players in the lineup included uh, Brooks Lee, Edward Julian, and uh, some other, like Joey Gallo. And uh, what really stood out to me uh, to begin uh, was Joey Gallo because he he had a leadoff single and uh, it was – 
into shallow right field, and there's absolutely no way it would have been a hit if the shift was still a thing. It would have been a very easy ball for a shifted infield to get to. So, you know, maybe Joey Gallo uh, is already reaping benefits of the shift being banned. Uh, Brooks Lee made his uh, major league spring training debut, uh, got an RBI single in his first at bat. He, you know, uh, he simply seems like a professional hitter. Like that just, the hit tool is going to carry that profile. So he's got an incredibly high floor. And if he can tap into more power, uh, he'll be a, you know, perennial all-star in my eyes. And I think the exciting thing about him is he could be up with the big league club as soon as like June or July, if not even sooner. And like, it's crazy to think about like Brooks Lee could be with the uh, big league club before Royce Lewis this season. Um, And obviously, you know, Lewis coming back from, you know, the ACL injury, but still just the thought of that is pretty interesting. Um, Edward Julian did not have the best game when I went, uh, but he did crank two home runs today. I wasn't at that game, but was following along online. So he's a super talented player um, and on base percentage machine um for uh and just on a personal note uh if you're going to the games to get autographs or pictures with players twins are a very friendly team uh joe ryan was really cool as always sunny gray jorge polanco uh brooks lee after the game uh signing autographs so uh it was a really fun time that's you know my favorite part about spring training is the player access it's a lot easier to get autographs and to take pictures with players uh this time a year as opposed to the regular season when they're more locked in. So, um, yeah, how about what was going on over in Sarasota for the Twins? Uh, actually, there were some prospects of note to talk about in that game against the Orioles, the, the Orioles 10-5 win. First of all, it was just neat that the very first hit of the spring season was a Nick Gordon triple that you could tell was going to be a triple. The second it, it went off his bat, he was just – flying and it went to the to the right gap but uh there are two prospects that i was most keyed in on are both on my dynasty team the starter uh gus barland and he did well had a couple strikeouts and the outfielder kaili rosario the strong legged and very tall uh athlete from hawaii he hit a 430 foot home run while i wasn't filming to uh to center field so there was some some excitement going on. We didn't have Brooks Lee. Uh, I guess a lot of Orioles fans in the stadium like perked up when they heard uh, Chan Cisco's name announced at the beginning. And for his uh, for his at bats, he went uh, over four. So we all you know remember remember Chan Cisco. So uh, that was kind of exciting. I don't know if I'm gonna see them uh, anymore for the rest of the for the rest of the spring season but it was cool to see uh Jose Salas in a uh, Twins uniform and I kind of was he walked a couple times and I was expecting him to try to steal so you know the, the Twins are a good organization and you're close to them we like them a lot so it's good to see like uh, a cool mix even in the split squad of some some veterans and some young guys absolutely and um great to hear about Kalai Rosario not the first no. time uh, either of us have seen him hit a home run to center field as uh, when I saw him way back when in the FCL, he hit a home run at JetBlue Park over the 420-foot dead center field wall. So he's got impressive power. And I want to no. correct myself on an earlier statement when I said Edward no. Julian did not play well when I saw him. 
he actually went one for one with a run scored and a walk. So I had my players mixed up. Julian is having a great spring so far. Um, also, also a, what's that? Also, I think he hit a tater today. Two, I think he had two home runs today, if I, okay. if I read it correctly. Um, right. And Joey Gallo in his other at bat had a second hit, so he went two for two. Um, on the pitching side of my game, Kenta Maeda uh, pitched, which is notable as he uh, missed some time or a lot of time actually in recent years with injuries. He one inning, no walks, one hit, no runs, a strikeout. Johan Duran, super dominant. Uh, dominant. Uh, he was hitting triple digits with ease. One inning, it was perfect with a strikeout. Giovanni Moran uh, had a – or, yeah, he had an interest in it inning. Uh, as he walked two batters, didn't strike out any, but gave up no runs. And then Cole Sands, who, you know, is fighting for a uh, – probably a bullpen spot, I would think. Um, because I, I just don't know if he figures in that rotation as they – you know, they're, they're so deep. Uh, did not have the best spring debut, giving up four hits and two earned runs in just one inning. But – it's really early, so hard to read into it too much. Um, but speaking of the Twins, I will be there tomorrow for Carlos Correa's spring debut and against. against Andy Painter, the best pitching prospect in baseball, unless you're a Yuri Perez or a Grayson Rodriguez fan. But, um, you know, I'm really excited to see Painter. I met him when he was on the Threshers last year, but uh, he pitched on Saturday against the Hammerheads, and I was working that night, so I didn't get to go to that game. So going to be great to see him tomorrow. And uh, while we're on the topic of Fort Myers, I guess I'll pivot to the Red Sox real quick um, as our third team we we touch on. Uh, I think I'm the only one here who's seen the Red Sox, so yeah. I'll briefly uh, sum that up. I've been to two games, and a uh, I went to their training camp on Monday uh Devers played both games he's looked like the same old Rafael Devers we know superstar really talented um he faced Taj Bradley uh on in the Sunday game which was uh quite fun uh Bradley blew a 98 mile per hour fastball by him uh for a swinging strike ended up flying out to the warning track so Bradley took that matchup uh hopefully that's a uh matchup we look forward to in uh the coming years Bradley versus Devers assuming you know Bradley, you can stick with the big league club. Uh, Masataka Yoshida has looked quite fun. Uh, I saw his first hit with the club on Sunday. It was a double that was a couple inches away from a home run. Um, it seems like every all the reports I've read about him seem, seem quite accurate, about like 20 home run power, good hit tool. Uh, it all, all checks out. Um, I like uh, Sedani Rafaela, I think I pronounced or Sedane. Um He's he's impressed me, uh, especially during batting practice. Uh, I like him a lot. Uh, Rymel Tapia has had a good start to the spring. I think he could figure in as a fourth or fifth outfielder for the Red Sox. Uh, Tristan Cassis has looked pretty good. Um, on the pitching side, I saw, I saw Josh Winchowski. Um, and I also saw you know their prospects on the backfields warming up. Um, they're all there. Miguel Blaise, Blaise Jordan, um, Marcelo Meyer. Uh, they're all in town. You can you can see them for free on the backfields. Um, so that is quite fun and exciting. And yeah, so I, I don't know how good the Red Sox are going to be this year. They have good players, you know, with Devers, uh, Justin Turner, Masataki Yoshida. Uh, I'm not I'm not really sold on them though. I think they end up finishing fifth again in the AL East. What do you guys think? Uh, I think. I, I, go ahead, Greg. 
Yeah, I think the Red Sox are probably going to bring up the rear in that in that division. I think there's just too much competition uh, with all the, with the other four teams. I just I, I just don't see them. I don't see them being better than than Toronto or the Orioles or Tampa or, or the or the Yankees. No, they're the uh, they're the worst combination in the American League of not healthy and not young. So I think that not by default, but the other teams are closer to optimal health and certainly closer to getting better production out of their younger slash cheaper players. The Red Sox, the Red Sox seem like they were really a last place team last year. They seem kind of like more entrenched as the fifth of, of five to me this year. And, and Bailey to help and to help you with the segue on bad teams from one to the other. Now would be a good time uh, to talk about the Tigers. <laughs> That's funny. I was, I was gonna, I was gonna use that segue too. So you beat me to it. A uh, really quick. <laughs> uh, there is one more Red Sox player I would be remiss if I didn't mention. Uh, it's 2019 second round pick Matthew Lugo. He's kind of lost his prospect shine a little bit. Um, but uh, the game I went to, he hit a double and a triple and five RBIs, and the Red Sox scored seven runs on Sunday. So five of them were via Matthew Lugo. I will say. The double was definitely not a double. Uh, Oslavis Basavi, who we'll talk about in a little bit, um, right. he the ball was in his glove and then it popped out. It was like a pop-up. So if I'm the official scorer, it's not being ruled a double. But regardless, the triple that Lugo hit was a very clean hit that Ruben Cardenas could not get to. So Lugo is having a nice spring so far. So, But yeah, so just wanted to touch upon uh, Matthew Lugo real quick because – um, so it's been a like we said only about five days, but he's looked good so far. But as you mentioned, Greg, uh, sticking on the topic of mediocre teams, I think it's a good time to talk about the Tigers. You mentioned briefly earlier about their defense, but let's hear about just the team as a whole. I think mediocre might be uh giving them a little too much credit. Uh, you know, a lot of times what us prospect hounds look for in spring training games are the team or the players that come in after the starters leave, you know, in the fifth inning, or oftentimes you look forward to seeing the road team in a spring game because a lot of times you see uh, the prospects travel. Um, in the case of the Tigers, uh, not so much. The only prospect that that really appeared in the game, either as a starter or as a, as a substitute, was Parker Meadows, and he was 0 for 3 on the game with a, with a strikeout. So th- there wasn't a lot to be excited about on the prospect side of things, it's always a joy to see Miguel Cabrera, especially somebody like me who actually attended his very first game and saw him hit a home run in that first game way back when in 2003. So it was a thrill to see him play again, uh, what, 20 years later. But uh, I think the the thing, if you're a Tiger fan or to, to, that you can hang your hat on uh, with this team is maybe they made a good trade with Philadelphia. Uh, they traded Gregory Soto and got uh, Nick Maton and – Matt Veerling and a couple and a, and a catcher named Sands. Um, all three played in the game, and Matan and uh, Veerling both hit home runs. So maybe that's something to build on. And I know that both of those guys weren't starters for Philadelphia and probably weren't going to be going forward, but they may have a place on the Tigers and may uh, develop into something, especially in the absence of any real prospects coming up. So. Um, if I'm trying, if I'm trying to find some optimism for the Tigers, it's maybe these these two guys and, and the hopes that that Torkelson finds some uh, find some success in his second year. Although he certainly didn't find it on Sunday, he was zero for two with a strikeout. So um, 
<laughs> it's going to be a long season for the Tigers. Uh, um, uh, Edward Rodriguez started the game and he pitched decent. He pitched two, uh, two innings, two hits, one strikeout, no, no runs. Uh, and considering that he missed a significant part of the season last year for, for personal reasons, just having him on the field was a positive for the Tigers. So finding positives where you can, that's, that's the optimist in me. Yeah, I'm less optimistic. I'm not. <laughs> Shocking. I mean, I, 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 <laughs> overall, I am. But I was, you know, I've got a lot of friends, in, especially on social media, that are uh, Tiger supporters, like like people like us, that podcast, that that write, that are into, in, into the media and trying to grow in it. And I, I kind of feel bad for them. Their sister, Al, Al Avila being there for like the last 10 years, really just ravaged their ability to make progress right now. So getting rid of him was a huge and very necessary step. But when I look at their system, no matter what type of, of ranking I see, it's fan graphs or pipeline or Baseball America and, and, and all the specific skills they cite also, they are the definition of a top-heavy system. They've got like five or six guys that I think are going to end up as major leaguers and everybody else is is a maybe so I, i've used this phrase to you before greg like they need to reflush to rebuild like they're not even ready to rebuild right now right and they kind of they're in one they need to go back to step one I feel bad for the you know one more really one more positive one more uh feel good story at least if, if it's not a positive is uh I'll jake rogers the catcher the the catcher jake rogers missed all of last year i think it was uh a Tommy John surgery. It was something significant that kept him out the whole year. And he hit a home run on the game on Sunday too. So, which is a, a nice, right. a nice return. So anybody who misses a whole year and finally gets a chance to play uh, in the spring and, and, and has that at least sort of start is something again to build on. So while I'm the optimist, Eric is the realist, I think when it comes to the Tigers going forward this year. Right. I, I mean, I hate to, I, I hate to be that way, but I always look, you know, very hard at each minor league system and the players uh, individually. By the way, speaking of something that, that we've like all looked at, most of the games that we go to, us three in particular, are uh, mi minor league games. So now that something from the minors is transitioning to, to the majors, have, have either of you guys had like any controversy or anything that stands out with the uh, pitch clock? I, I don't think that I have. Uh, there was something on, on Saturday in the Pirates Jays game. There was just some confusion with the people I was sitting near. Not not clear about why uh, a, a player why a player got first base or why uh, the umpire was pointing to his wrist. I think that's sort of the uh, the uh, universal sign for hey the, the it's a strike because the pitcher uh, the, the batter took too long or it's a ball because the pitcher took too long. There was a runner at third in that in that situation, and he didn't come home. And the guy next to me thought it was a balk call, but it certainly wasn't because the guy would have come home had it been a balk. And uh -huh. right. it, it was it was a clock situation, and uh, so no, the, there was no there was no mystery on the field. There was just some confusion in the stands, and I, and th that might uh, happen quite a bit as the seat you know during the regular season, unless there's some clarification by either the pay, PA announcer or. I think last year, weren't there some umpires mic'd up calling on, re you know, uh, telling the fans what happened on a replay? It might not be a bad idea for them to do that, at least at first, on these clock 
uh, situations. I tend to agree. At the uh, uh, three games I went to, there were some automatic strikes and automatic balls. And there was a weird situation with Josh Fleming where it seemed like they were calling a balk. Um, so I, I think uh, it'll be some growing pains uh, during spring training um, as, you know, the players and umpires get used to the new rules. I was actually talking with a fan at one of the Red Sox games about the new rules. Um I'm all for the pitch clock. I wasn't originally when it was first introduced in the minor leagues just because I was like, do I really want less baseball? But I, I don't think it is less baseball. It no, gets it isn't. And, you no. know, I you get to go eat, get home, you know, a solid 30, 45 minutes earlier. So I like that. Earlier. Um, the two games I went to lasted two hours and 47 minutes each. And each game had 16 runs scored in it and a new pitcher every inning and some pitching changes – during the innings and they right. still managed to score. They still managed to finish a game in two hours and 47 minutes. I think uh, that's all you can ask. And I think that's how the game was played, you know, decades ago. So if, even if you're a purist, I think, you know, you, you're, and you're complaining about the pitch clock, you have, you're sort of not on solid footing because the game is traditionally played at that pace. And I think it's good that we're getting back to it. And in fact, Maybe folks uh, from your generation, Bailey, might be more interested in it if the yeah. games are two and a half, two hours, 45. It's certainly possible. I, I would say, though, the two rule the two rule changes that have come over from the minor leagues that I don't think will be positive are banning the shift and the uh, extra inning uh, runner on second rule. Um, I'm, I, I think I'm more OK with banning the shift than the extra inning rule, but I don't love it either. I, I think. Like, um, I, you know, I, you see the argument on Twitter, like t it's like telling de football defenses not to blitz. And I mean, I, I kind of see that argument. Like I just, you know, if, if a team wants to put nine fielders on the right side of the field, I think they should feel free to do it. But I understand the argument against it too. I'm more upset about the extra inning rule. I think that that's simply not baseball. And I understand the argument for it. You know, uh, the time argument, saving pitchers as arms. But if you want to do that, start it in the 11th inning or the 12th inning. Give us one or two extra innings of actual baseball before you put in that okay. kind of rule. But overall, I think, you know, there there's good intent behind the rules. So that's all you can really ask for. Right. I, I, I'm sorry, Eric. Go ahead. I think as far as the, the banning of the shift, I think I'm in the camp where um, I'm in, I would be in fa – I'm not in favor of banning it. And, and the reason being is – I'm a Pirates fan. I'm wearing my uh, my fandom on my on my chest here tonight. But back in, in 2011, 12, 13, they were actually on the forefront of things. I know it's hard for people to imagine now, but the Pirates were were on the cutting edge back then. And they actually had people in their, you know, in their uh, baseball operations whose job it was to figure out where to best place uh, defensive players. And they gained an advantage in an, in a in a game where they are inherently disadvantaged by a lot of different for a lot of different reasons so i think from a competitive standpoint it's a, it's a big negative i think it also sends a bad message for players trying to make it to the major leagues we are going to reward people who are good at one thing and that is pulling the ball and we're not we're going to uh you know sort of discourage people from learning how to be a complete player by changing the rules to suit only those players who can pull the ball, be it, you know, to the, to, to the right side, if you're a lefty or to the left side, if you're a righty. 
And I just, I just don't think that's a good message to send to young players, either in high school, college, or even in the minor leagues now. And I think it also takes away the possibility of being, of creating advantages uh, for teams like the Pirates or the Rays or, or, or uh, Kansas City or anybody like that. So I, I, you know, I think from a, maybe from a competitive standpoint, it opens it opens things up a little bit, but I don't like the the reasoning behind it, and I think it it disadvantages some some teams who used it to their advantage a decade ago. I'm totally fifty fifty on the shift. I see both sides of the argument. Uh, uh, I do. I'm a huge fan of up the middle offense, uh, especially you know even if it's just a single. Uh, Westberg had one today. Gunner had one today. You know, I like that that center gap being open for Henry Davis had offense. one today. <laughs> uh, right, right, right. That's another one. Yeah, I was there. I should have said that. But right, I like those hits happening instead of them being like almost near automatic or very high percentage outs. I like them as hits. Uh the extra inning thing, right like Bailey outlined it, it really is it's ridiculous to do it immediately. I understand the the reasoning and the rationale behind it, but I would like I'm, – I'm the kind of person that likes a 15-inning game or a 16-inning game. I know that I'm in the, the absolute minority, but uh, at least start that in the in the 11th or the 12th. And the pitch clock, from what I'm noticing, and, you know, we go to dozens of minor league games a year, the only thing that they're taking out is the delay. The stuff that slows down the action is now – interval by interval being reduced the pitcher cannot get the ball back and walk around the mound for 30 seconds we just can't do that and that's where so many uh delays come from but speaking of time and a delay and a time crunch uh greg you know we've we have you on for a very specific reason and we haven't gotten to that point yet today pirates infield prospect nick gonzalez hit a very long home run uh, coming in off the bench. I've seen Nick do great in BP, even better in defensive drills at second, third, and short. And going back last year to camp season, basically be the Pirates' offensive MVP. Greg, I would love to tee you up right here. Why are people sleeping on Nick Gonzalez and exactly use high-level vocabulary to tell them how wrong they are? (laughs) Well, Today was a great day because he hit a home run, and I think he he shut up a lot of uh, uh, naysayers. But again, it's one day, and it's February, and it's spring training, so he has to do it for the long haul. I think the problem, you know, from a macro standpoint, the the evaluators, the the Baseball Americas, Prospect Live, Fangraphs folks, what they see is somebody who uh, can't stay healthy, and they see somebody who uh, has difficulty with the high fastball and misses too, swings and misses too much in the zone. That's that seems to be the knock that I see uh, repeatedly. But but what I hear and what the statistics say and what Eric's eyes say are, don't seem to to match up. And and I'm constant. You guys, I complain to you guys all the time about this. There are some folks who just get a pass when it comes to to injury, and then there are some folks like Nick Gonzalez that seemed to get dinged. And I think the problem with him um, from a, from a national standpoint is he's grouped in with other small 
college mid-major mid-major teams players who tend to have struggled either in the high minors or in the major leagues that the biggest comparison or the most office often compared player to him is Keston Hira uh, with the Brewers and I just don't see the same player I see a guy who's capable at second base somewhat extended if he plays on the left side but certainly somebody who can play a solid second base and has hit every single stop he's he's had in the major in the minor leagues and hit like crazy in college so does he strike out more than than maybe he was expected to as he was coming out in the draft in 2020 certainly but the the thing that i've noticed and and that doesn't seem to get talked about enough or a lot is his progression during a season i noticed in 2021 and the same thing happened in 2022 he got off to a rough start got hurt and then came out of it came out of the injury like gangbusters not ah. just hitting not just hitting everything but the, the strikeouts reduced too. So um, am I surprised that he swung through an 80 mi 89 mile an hour high fastball on Saturday? No. But am I surprised that he hit a home run today? No. It, it's, it's the, it's the evolution. It's the, it's the way uh, his seasons work. And what I've talked to you about it, Eric, at, in, at length, what I hope to see and what I expect to see if, if health allows uh, maybe he gets off to a, a, a slow start in Indy, but he will pick it up. And by the end of the season, his numbers will be outstanding. And there may still be uh, naysayers. Yep. He's just one of those polarizing prospects. Um, and he's just going to have to succeed. Uh, you know, I've, I said this to my to my my own son when he was playing ball growing up because he's a basketball guy and he's five nine. He's cursed with my genes. And. When you're a short guy, when you're a small guy, you have to prove that you can. And when you're a big guy like Jordan Walker or somebody else from that 2020 draft, you have to prove you can't. Good point. And and that's and that's really where Nick Gonzalez is. And I'll be curious to see how he how his season uh, unfolds. And it's interesting that the Pirates drafted another kid, another short guy, but certainly not small. And we've talked about Termar, and that's a guy that we're both looking forward to seeing in Bradenton early this summer. And he's another guy who's going to have to prove that he can rather than prove he can't. And um, as, as a vertically challenged guy myself, those are the guys I tend to, to relate to and gravitate towards. So I'm rooting for both of them. That is a, that is a very successful segue. And right, tomorrow is another player that obviously any prospect people are excited about. And, you know, not, not, thinking about Pirates and prospects, there was some some news. We actually haven't even discussed it today. Uh, it was announced, I guess I'll use that word, that top Pirates prospect Bubba Chandler is going to focus on pitching and not be a hitter. Last year, he was the occasional DH with the Brayton <clears throat> Marauders. So, uh, Greg. What are your thoughts on Bubba now being pitcher only? Aside from, you know, his baseball cards will just have a P. Like, what what do you think about the rest of his developmental track going forward? I think Bubba was always going to be a pitcher. I think he was being allowed to hit last year as an accommodation more than anything else. And I think what it's going to allow is him to focus on one thing. He's such a great athlete that – 
being able to focus on one thing to be able to uh, expand his his repertoire and, and and maybe focus in on improving the fastball command. I think it's just going to cause him to to move quicker. And I think that can only be a positive for the Pirates and for him. I think the sooner he's able to identify what he's going to be and get better at that, I think that's how um, I think that's how he's going to succeed and how he's going to succeed faster. And I see nothing but but positives with that. What affiliate do you think he starts out at? Tough question. It is a tough question because he only had what he only had like what 30, 40 innings with uh, Bradenton, if that. Uh, yeah, it was not a lot. So, yeah, I think he starts in Bradenton and probably moves up with Tamar at the end of May, if I had to guess. So yeah, if I had if I had to guess, that's my guess. Pretty exciting. Tamar and Bubba Chandler starting the year as Bradenton Marauders to mix in with some of their FCL uh, transition guys. Absolutely. And speaking of the Marauders, you know, uh, some of their alumni were playing uh, this weekend in uh, spring training. You guys both saw, uh, you know, those guys. Uh, While we're on the topic of the Pirates, uh, Henry Davis uh, is playing already in the spring. Eric, you saw Luis Ortiz, who uh, we were talking about on this show over a year ago before anyone knew his name. Uh, now he's fighting for a spot in the rotation. So, uh, you know, let's talk a little bit more about the Pirates, something we do often. But, uh, you know, what do you, what do you guys think of Henry Davis and Eric specifically on Luis Ortiz uh, in his outing today? Well, I, people are kind of like surprised or not surprised, just like, it seems nouveau that Luis Ortiz is getting outs or getting uh, favorable pitchers counts by use of a changeup. And I've seen him use that changeup extremely effectively. I remember a couple starts early in 2021 where he was not throwing anything breaking. It was just changing speed. You know, that's what he was working on, basically going from like 97 to 82, just showing that speed variance. And some of those starts were absolutely pristine. So I'm, I'm glad for Luis. He really rose really fast. I feel very, very lucky to have, to have watched his beginning, in the beginning of his, his ascension in 2021. So I'm, I'm very happy for where he is right now. If I'm a Pirates fan, I'm kind of like, you know, stop. Don't be cheap with Luis Ortiz. He's not going to maximize the money. Do not mess with his service time. He's not a triple-A pitcher. He's just not. He needs to continue the rest of his development in the major leagues. Uh, I, I really hope that, that that happens a lot sooner than later. And Henry is just absolutely awesome. He's gotten stronger. I think he's a much, much better hitter than he is a catcher. He's not a zero as a catcher, but he really is a, an offensive force. Hit tool, power. Uh, my friend Jack and I, the catcher, we were at the game today for his hit. We were looking at it in super slow-mo. The leg kick he came into the pros with is so, so reduced. It's so subtle. It's now an effective tool. So this is another guy. Like, I understand that he needs seasoning and he needs to wear the equipment, lead the pitching staff, call the game in the minor leagues for a little while before he reaches the pros. But I've seen absolutely nothing that makes me think he's anything less than a, a, a great major league baseball player. It's just a matter of when the pirates decide to, 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 to break, break the line and have him come over. So 
I'm really happy about that battery, Davis and Ortiz. Pirates fans have a, a little bit more uh, reason to be optimistic with, 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 with the farm, and I've been lucky to see it up close. The same story with uh, Gonzalez applies to Davis. He just needs to play. Last year he got yep. hurt. He had a wrist injury. The year before he had an injury right out of right out of the draft. He he got hurt almost immediately. So he just needs to play. He just needs innings. He needs uh, work behind the plate. Uh, and he also needs to learn how to get out of the way. The very first plate appearance on Saturday, his very first time up to bat, he got hit with a pitch which he got hit with 20 times last year. So, and that led a lot, that led to a lot of his uh, injuries, his, his wrist, his hand. So, you know, he needs to maybe, maybe uh, either back off the plate a little bit. A lot of times when you're a catcher, that's where the injuries happen, but his injuries happen when he's up to bat, not when he's behind the plate. So, and I know he crowds the plate. I know he's uh, he, he does the, the right-handed Anthony Rizzo thing by hanging over the plate. And he tends to, to get on base that way, but that maybe for the greater good, he needs to either learn how to get out of the way or back up a little bit. Or back um, up. Yeah. Another good, just backing up on Luis Ortiz, another good note. He, his last, uh, at his last uh, batter today was a strikeout and he got the hitter on a, on a changeup, which is something he didn't show very much last year. And it had some, I don't know, eight or nine mile an hour difference between uh, the changeup and the fastball. And if he can have a third pitch like that, that keeps hitters off the fastball, he will be even that much more uh, effective. So I have, I have high hopes for uh, Luis Ortiz. And as much as some of the national uh, pundits were, are, are sort of running away from Nick Gonzalez and Henry Davis, for whatever reason, they are running towards Luis Ortiz. And on that count, I can agree with them. So uh, I'm hopeful and optimistic. And, he, and another prospect who maybe struggled last year and we're looking for better things this year from the Pirates, I saw on Saturday was Leover Piguero. He yeah. had two hits and two RBIs, and both of those hits were up the middle, line drives, which tells me that he's locked in pretty early on in camp. So I'm seeing the Pirates tomorrow here in Lakeland, and I'm hoping that uh, – I haven't seen any – the travel squad or who's, who's uh, coming up here, but – I'm hopeful that we get to see Leover Piguero, you know, at least as a late inning sub. He's somebody who who really, really needs um, a, a positive season this year. Last year, he got called up in June as an injury replacement, got sent back down after a game or two and struggled. And he struggled to the point where he didn't even get promoted to AAA as the season wore down. So um, Piguero is another guy that 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 needs to to sort of reestablish his his prospect status and uh, where, what better time to do it than now? Definitely. I know. That's, a, Go ahead. that's a lot of good Pirates uh, info. Um, I, I'm really high on Luis Ortiz. I think the changeup is going to be a game changer for him, no pun intended. Oh, um, play on and, <laughs> and real quick, before pivoting off the Pirates, because we still got uh, two more teams to uh, talk about, I got to shout out Andy Rodriguez, who is uh, two for five this spring with an RBI and 1,000 OPS. Um, it's possible that he ends up being the long-term catcher instead of Davis, if Davis, you know, or they, they are a tandem, but it's a good problem to have. So, um, just wanted to shout him out too. Um, and, you know, pivoting to, uh, another team that Eric and I have both seen, uh, in spring training so far, my Tampa Bay Rays, uh, I've been to two games and although they lost both of them, there's a lot of positives, 
Uh, so starting with that first game against the Twins, uh, Josh Lowe hit a leadoff double way over the left fielder's head. Uh, really positive to see after he's had some struggles in the major leagues. And, you know, it feels like uh, if they just give him playing time, he'll succeed. I know he has issues with fastballs, but um, I'm a believer in Josh Lowe. Vidal Brujan looked really good on defense, made a nice play to start a double play. Oslavis Basabi had an RBI single in the Saturday game. Uh, Harry Ramirez had a hit. Kyle Manzardo had a hit, which is notable his first game with the big league club. Isak Paredes looked amazing in batting practice. Just insane power from that guy. Uh, there's a lot of talk just, I guess, in Rays circles about if he's a platoon bat or not. Um, I'm always really bullish on the Rays players not being platooned, even though reality suggests otherwise. But I think uh, I think if he keeps playing the way he's done so far in spring, it'll be hard not to uh, let him cook. Um, Cameron Meisner uh, had a good game. Um, so those were the notable hitters from the first game. On the pitching side, there were a lot of positives as well. Mason Montgomery, one of our top pitching prospects, uh, pitched a scoreless inning. And Evan Reifert, reliever of the year in 2022, pitched a perfect inning as well, striking out the side. Um, he could be, you know, an elite closer as soon as, you know, next year. And I think he can figure into the Rays bullpen this year. Like he's he's quite good. Uh, on the opposite spot, side of the spectrum is Josh Fleming, who the first six batters he faced all reached via a hit. He ended up pitching one inning, allowing six hits and six earned runs. No walks or strikeouts. So it's the first day of spring training. I don't want to read too much into it, but Fleming's fighting for, you know, a long relief slash bullpen role, maybe even like, you know, a bulk guy. But, you know, he's going to have to pitch better than that. Maybe, you know, you never know what's going on with pitchers during spring training, especially early. Maybe he was tinkering with his pitch mix, but definitely not the best outing. Um, On Sunday, I saw the Rays again in Fort Myers, this time against the Red Sox. Uh, Jose Siri. Um, got hit by a pitch. Luckily, he's okay. Uh, Curtis Mead, I was really excited to see. It's the first time I saw Curtis Mead. Went 0 for 3. But, um, you know, just in terms of player interaction aspect, he's one of the nicest players I met this weekend. So that was cool. Same with Jonathan Aranda. He was a really nice guy. Aranda drew two walks on Sunday, uh, furthering my, uh, uh, I guess, propaganda of him being a walk machine. Uh, Luke Rayleigh hit a home run on Sunday, which is notable because he did it again today, Tuesday. So he's already had two home runs uh, fighting for that fourth outfielder role with the Rays, maybe even a starter if he keeps this up. Um, let's see. Greg Jones struck out twice on Sunday. He looked better for you, Eric, on uh, on Monday. Uh, Oslavis Basabi hit a grand slam, uh, which over the green monster, I guess artificial green monster since it's not the real one. Mini monster. Um, yeah, the mini monster. Uh, Taj Bradley pitched a perfect inning, getting Tristan Cassis, Rafael Devers, and Justin Turner all out. None via strikeout, but still really impressive. Uh, ben Heller, a um, 30-year-old pitcher, he looked really good. Um, Non-roster invite, struck out two guys. Uh, Colton Brewer also looked really good. So the Rays just have incredible depth in the bullpen. And uh, I guess the last thing I'll touch on, uh, for the Rays is I'll go back to Kyle Manzardo real quick. Um, his batting practice at uh, Fenway South was phenomenal. He had a home run opposite field over the mini monster. He had a home oh. run to dead center, which is like four over 420 feet. And then he pulled a home run right down the right field line. So Manzardo truly has all field power 
Um, so I'm I'm really excited about him. But Eric, you also saw uh the Rays and you saw a really good player on the Rays do really well. So I'll give the floor to you. Oh, thank you. And by the way, I know I never posted the batting practice videos that I got. I just sent them randomly to you. I think the best one was Josh Lowe. He was the most consistent, just driving it so far. He looks also so cool with, with the headband, but uh I got much more of a veteran offense experience with the Rays. I've also never seen Wander Franco play in person. So I was very happy to film him a beautiful double to the left field wall in slow motion, an outstanding home run. He was uh, he was three for three. He had four RBIs. I saw Yanni Diaz go deep and have a pair of hits. I saw Randy Rosarena go way deep. And I saw a prospect that I probably like more than anyone else still, uh, Vidal Brujan, play uh, a pretty good second base and, and beat out a hit also. So I got like the, the real Rays offense experience. And I just have a feeling them against the Orioles, like that, that matchup is going to mean something this year. And it's going to be like a little bit different than years past. Maybe the Orioles are going to have a series where they have great pitching and the Rays have great hitting. So them, them battling against each other is something that I really look forward to this year as both of the systems and the products of the system kind of like come to the to the forefront. Very, very excited for that matchup. Definitely. It seems like in the preseason, perennially, people like to write off the race. But I, I just – they're this old team where they just find players who produce. So I, I think we're looking at a postseason team once again. Maybe not yep. a division winner with, you know, the Yankees looking good and the Orioles too, but – I mean, I'm I I think the Rays could absolutely compete for the division this year. And speaking of teams in the in that division, one more team we got to talk about real quick before we wrap this up, and that's the Blue Jays. So cover your ears real quick, Eric, as we talk about them. Frank. Um, but uh, Greg, you saw the Blue Jays uh, over the weekend. Um, you say Kikuchi, who did not do well in his first year in Toronto, looked really good for you as well as some of the hitters. So what were, what were your takeaways from uh, Toronto? I was actually very impressed with Kikuchi. I knew what kind of season he had last year, too. So I had no expectations going in. But he was moving the ball quite a bit. He had more velocity than I expected, too. He was 94, 95, which is uh, – I don't know if that's his, his norm, but that seemed a little on the high side, especially for February 25th. And he struck out five Pirates. And it was a representative Pirates lineup. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't the B team, so to speak. So, yeah, he, he could feel good about his start. Not so much for Zach Thompson, on the other hand. Zach Thompson was the guy the Pirates traded to the Blue Jays for an outfielder named Chavez Young, who's actually had a pretty good start to spring training himself. But Zach Thompson came in to pitch the third inning and didn't make it out of the third inning and gave up a grand slam to Rodolfo Castro, who – who's had himself a good start to the to the spring. But I wanted to talk about, while we're talking about the Blue Jays, the one prospect who was really on the in the lineup who really impressed me, and that was Addison Barger. I knew you were going to uh, say that. He, he moved up the ladder three different levels last year and hit an absolutely monstrous home run to right field at Lecom Park in Bradenton. I, the three of us are familiar with it. I don't know if all of your listeners are. But he hit it over the the boardwalk uh, and almost probably beyond the the, the training facility, uh, the Pirates clubhouse back there beyond right field. It was just a massive 
uh, home run that that and I've been to that park dozens of times and I don't think I've hit, seen one hit uh, quite that far. So I think he's he had quite a season last year and he's off to a good start in the spring. And I think right now this is sort of a, a down uh, a down trough for the for the Jays uh, prospects, Jays uh, minor league system right now. So he's he's somebody that they can feel good about, considering that I don't know that he was a, a real high draft pick back in 2018. He's somebody that they can point to as maybe as a development success story. So. And it's a and it's a infielder. So. Uh, while they have Matt Chapman, who knows how long they have him for, and maybe maybe Barger is a Matt Chapman replacement uh, here in the next year or two. Yeah, definitely. And I, I would say with you know Orelvis Mart, excuse me, Orelvis Martinez not uh, developing the way they originally envisioned. You know, the fact I'm a bigger Elvis fan. Don't don't count him out. But you're right. He didn't he didn't have the best year last year. Right. right. So the fact that Barger has been so good is, you know, a plus for the Blue Jays. But I'm um, glad you mentioned that. And uh, I could talk for another three hours about spring training. Like this is just the most exciting time of year. But uh, I think we got to wrap things up just for time. But we're all going to games tomorrow. Greg and Lakeland, me and Fort Myers and uh, Eric in Sarasota. So definitely uh, stay tuned on uh, Twitter for just, you know, content from the games. But Gregor, Eric, is there anything you want to add before we go? Just yeah. one thing. On, just one thing on my side. Um, I'm so impressed with uh, the followers you have on your Twitter account. I was fortunate enough to to take some video, uh, some real, real oh, yeah, you know. video in in on Sunday in, in Lakeland, and I was and I sent them over to to you guys, and you put them up on Twitter, and I've been getting likes for for the last three days. You have some real. Um, uh, ardent followers particularly Orioles fans and so I have to credit you and and the Orioles fans that follow you I'm glad you went first because in the couple games that I've gone to down here and the practices I can't even tell you how many people are thankful and noticing what we're doing and like pat me on the back or people that are writing this morning I woke up to some uh, Orioles fan from Australia thanking me for the videos so I just want to say you know, this is what, what we expect to be doing. This is the busy part of our year, so it might slow down a bit in the in the couple weeks between, like, the end of spring training and when uh, the minor leagues really ramp up. But this is what we intended to do when we started this podcast. And I want to say specifically, an Orioles fan that I met at Ed Smith Stadium, and I saw him again today. Uh, his name is Jake. He's from Catonsville. I met his daughter. Her name is Karina. She's nine months old. She was at her first Orioles games. So I'm really glad to meet people that support the Orioles and kind of do unconventional and crazy type things like, like I would to prove that, that you're a fan. And I'm very, very glad for Bailey and I that we have this, this forum that people can, can connect to. And I just hope that, that us two and all of everybody else can, can assist in helping it grow. So now, Bailey, it's your time. Absolutely. No, I'm glad you both uh, mentioned that. You know, uh, this was our intent with uh, starting the podcast. So I'm really glad that we're able to, you know, reach other people and, you know, just spread baseball, um, you know, worldwide, as you point out. But uh, uh, just, I guess last thing, just wanted to thank you again, Greg, for coming on. This was super fun discussion, and we'll definitely be looking forward to having you again in the future. Anytime and just 
just know that I'm going to be seeing other teams here in the, in the weeks to come. So I'd be happy to talk about what I see with the Yankees and the Phillies and anybody else that, that I'm lucky enough to see in the next few weeks. It is my favorite time of year. You bet, Greg, for being a, an excellent and supportive friend. And I will be sitting with you on Friday night for Oriole Pirates under the lights at 6 o'clock. Let's go, Bucks. There we go. So <laughs> let's go. <laughs> thank you both. This was a really fun discussion. Um, looking forward to chatting with you both uh, again in the future. But for now, that about wraps it up. So thank you all for listening. Stay tuned for future episodes and peace out.